two F's that are effing great. Football and food. This is Pigskin and Burnt Ends with Patrick Netherton, part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Hey gang, we welcome you into the Pigskin and Burnt Ends Podcast with Patrick Netherton. It's me, Patrick Netherton, uh, part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. We're so excited to have you in with us. It is a, uh, it's really kind of an off week, at least in terms of what LSU is up to. Uh, State of Louisiana has a few games, but uh, but LSU, New Mexico this week after Southern uh, two weeks ago, and then Mississippi State this past week. We'll go into the Mississippi State game coming up here in uh, in just a moment, but kind of a, one of those off weeks, if you will, for LSU. Uh, we'll be without Kayshawn Booty, uh, announced that he was there for the birth of his uh, child yesterday. That would have been on uh, on Thursday. So uh, congratulations to Kayshawn, and, uh, and, and so good news for him. Looks like everything's good, but he will miss the New Mexico game, although that really shouldn't uh, have much effect. Uh, also coming up on the show, we will chat with Brody Miller of uh, The Athletic. Brody Miller, one of the terrific writers. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, I highly recommend that you do it. It has... Uh, so many good writers in so many different places around the country that cover so many of the different sports. They are absolutely fantastic at what they do. And I highly recommend that if you get a chance, go in and check out The Athletic. Uh, Brody Miller, who covers The Athletic, uh, covers LSU, I should say, for The Athletic, is going to join us coming up in just a bit. Also, we'll have a barbecue story this past weekend. Got a chance to travel down to Mississippi. Northwestern State, who I call games for, was playing at Southern Miss and got to go down to one of the legendary, maybe the most legendary barbecue place in Mississippi called The Shed down in Ocean Springs, uh, down on the coast. And I'll tell you a little bit about that as well. Uh, But first, we have to start off and talk a little bit about the LSU Tigers finally getting that first significant win in the Brian Kelly era, uh, obviously Southern, not a big deal. The loss to Florida State to start the season. But then Mike Leach and Mississippi State coming to town. Will Rogers, who's had a, a ton of experience within that Mike Leach air raid offense, knows what he's doing. And you figured this would be the first real test. And honestly, LSU got off to a very poor start. Didn't play very well to start with. Defense played well pretty much the entire game. But the offense struggled, couldn't really get anything untracked uh, until finally they uh, they decided to go a little tempo with uh, with Jaden Daniels, and that sort of broke things open. You started to see the quick passing game have some effect, and LSU moved the ball, ultimately ended up scoring, got a big run down the stretch, and put that game away uh, at the at the end. And a really nice win, not only just a, a good win, but a reasonably convincing win Uh, win at the end for Brian Kelly in his first opportunity at SEC play. So we'll talk about that. Also, uh, this week, LSU was hit with uh, some sanctions uh, stemming from their old offensive line coach illegally recruiting outside of or during a dead period outside of the regular recruiting times. Uh, James Craig was hit with a three-year show cause which basically means if someone else wants to hire him or if he wants to coach, 
they have to show a reason why uh, he w- should be allowed to coach within the next three years. So kind of makes him untouchable for a, a span of about three years in the college ranks. Obviously, if he wants to go coach high school, if he wants to go coach NFL, any of that stuff, he or any of the professional leagues, he's certainly able to do that. But in the college ranks, he's going to be uh, a little bit untouchable for three years. Basically had an offensive line recruit come in, uh, gave him some uh, some LSU gear, uh, took him on a uh, ride around campus, showing him off the stadium, all of that stuff. It was outside of a regular recruiting period during what they call a dead period. And that is obviously a big, big no-no. So LSU hit with uh, was just fines, probation. They had already self-imposed most of those penalties. Uh, and so really not much more than, than LSU slapping themselves on the wrist and the NCAA going, okay, we've, we've seen enough. That's good enough punishment. But Brody Miller, we'll talk more about uh, that in depth uh, coming up with the writer from The Athletic, covers the LSU beat. Uh, we'll also get into something I, I find interesting is what is, the, what is the, the relationship like between Brian Kelly and the media, right? This is a, uh, this is a new thing for him in terms of the SEC media. You know, Notre Dame's always had their own share of media, but it's a little different when you get into uh, the SEC. And so I was just curious, what has the relationship been like? Uh, between Brian Kelly and the assorted media. And so we'll get into some of that and just talk about LSU as a whole, plus uh, their chances of potentially winning a national championship under Brian Kelly at some point uh, for a coach who has been very, very successful everywhere he's been, but doesn't have that championship um, that he, that the kind of thing you're looking for from a coach who's coming to LSU because the last three, Saban, Les Miles, uh, Ed Ogeron, all, did win titles. So uh, does Brody Miller think Brian Kelly will ultimately win a championship at LSU? So we'll get into all of that. Should be a fun conversation. Well, it already was, but uh, will be a fun conversation. And we'd love for you to hear that. So stick around for Brody Miller coming up here in just a moment. But first, let's talk the burnt ends portion of the Pigskin and Burnt Ends podcast. Got a chance to, to hit the road to Mississippi. And a place I've wanted to go for a long time is called The Shed. It's, uh, it's down in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. It's probably about 30, 25, 30 miles east of Gulfport, if you know where Gulfport, Mississippi is, and uh, kind of on the way there towards the little stem of Alabama that sits down there on, uh, on the Gulf Coast. I have not had a chance to go, decided uh, I, I had to get my windshield replaced. I bought a car down at, uh, at a dealership in Gulfport. They had promised to replace the windshield. They, uh, I, they didn't. So they said, come back down, we'll replace it. So I had a chance, Northwestern State was playing Southern Miss this past weekend. So I had a chance to go down and get that done. And I figured, you know what, while I'm here, let me go ahead and hit the shed. It's only 25, 30 miles farther. Uh, Figure why not? So end up going down the road to the shed, which is one of the more interesting, funky, eclectic places that I've ever been to. It kind of reminds you of... Gosh, uh, I guess for me, because I'm from Louisiana, it reminds me of some of the little uh, kind of shacks and sheds and, and uh, you know, I guess compounds that you'd find in South Louisiana down in the swamp. You, you'd see there'd be a house and then there'd be a couple of lean-tos and then there'd be some, some sheds. It's just 
it's just a bunch of different buildings that don't really match up with each other, but all put together in a compound uh, that is down not too far from the ocean. So it's very strange how it's all set up. But uh, it, it had great food, uh, got a little bit of everything, got some brisket, got some ribs, got some sausage. Um, and so I've got to say, some sides, some mac and cheese, and some beans. And I have to say, it was, it was really good. Brisket's about as good as any place I've had outside of the state of Texas. And just a, not a lot of places do brisket well outside of Texas. But the brisket was as good as a, just about as good as any place I've had outside the state of Texas. The ribs uh, were a little overcooked um, when they served them. I was eating there. I was not getting it to go. And when they served them, the ribs were wrapped in foil, wrapped in saran wrap, and then wrapped in butcher paper. And they came out piping hot. I mean, you couldn't touch them once I unwrapped the the wrapping, you know, unwrapped the butcher paper, and then unwrapped the cellophane. The, the ribs inside the foil, you couldn't hold on to them. They were too hot. And I'm like, these are, these are being served a little bit too, uh, you know, too over, if you will. And so sure enough, when I got them out, the, the meat was falling off the bone. Uh, one thing about falling off the bone ribs, I know a lot of places like to tell you that their ribs are fall off the bone tender. Just know that if the ribs are fall off the bone tender, that means they're overcooked. Uh, when you take a bite of a rib, it should the the bite that you take should should be there. You should see the bite mark, but then the rest of the meat should stay on the rib. You shouldn't have to really work to to pull that bite off. It should come off reasonably easily. But then the rest of the meat should stay on the rib. If you take a bite of a rib and all the meat falls off the bone, it's overcooked. Just that, trust me. I'm a I'm a Kansas City Barbecue Society expert uh, uh, judge. I promise you, if the meat falls off the bone, that is an overcooked rib. You want a bite mark left, but uh, and you don't want to have to pull too hard to get that bite off to start with. So the ribs were a little bit over, but they were tasty, heavily sauced, and uh, and glazed, but uh, but not bad at all. Very tasty. Uh, again, the brisket was as good as I've had. The sausage was delicious, and it was just a it was just an interesting place, man. It was just a really interesting spot to go. And, uh, and check out some food. Uh, so if you are down in the southern Mississippi area, down along the Gulf Coast, Gulfport and, uh, and Biloxi and down in that area, go check out uh, The Shed down in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. It will, uh, it's a fun place. It's a neat place. You can just kind of walk around and explore. They got signs and old uh, memorabilia and things everywhere. Uh, it's just a cool spot to go check out uh, some, some barbecue. So if you get a chance... Go down to the shed in in Ocean Springs, Mississippi, and check it out. I promise you that you will not be disappointed in that choice. Hey, speaking of good choices that you can make, college football season's underway, and you need a sports book. That choice, your sports book. You need one with integrity and longevity that you can rely on, like BetUS. Did you know that BetUS has been pioneers in the sportsbook industry for over 25 years, thriving and paying their loyal customer base quickly and securely? Well, we want you to go to BetUS.com and take advantage of an offer we have on our shows from College Gridiron Coast to Coast. You'll receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using our code COAST22. That's COAST22, the two numbers. Uh, put $100 in, get an additional 125 to play with. 200 initial deposit, 
250 for you to play with, and so on. And BetUS also has the NFL, the MLB postseason, and soon the NBA, as well as almost any sport you can think of or wager on. But we know you're college football fans, and we want you to be with us all season long on BetUS. Check them out at BetUS.com. And remember our 125% match bonus for initial signups with the code COAST22. C-O-A-S-T-2-2. BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. Now for our conversation with Brody Miller of The Athletic. We talk LSU football. We talk the uh, sanctions that were handed down this week. What does it ultimately mean? And then uh, getting into the meat of the schedule after this week against New Mexico. And we discuss whether Brian Kelly can ultimately bring a championship to LSU football. That's Brody Miller joining us right now. Could be listening to this later. That would be on the Pigskin and Burn-Ins podcast, of course. That uh, we, we got both. We got a radio show and a podcast. We got all kind of things going on. We're, we're multimedia, as they say, Rogers. We're video. We're audio. We're other audio. We got all kind of stuff going on. And uh, LSU had a little news made today. That would be Thursday afternoon. And so we bring in one of our favorite experts when it comes to LSU, Brody Miller of The Athletic. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, who is neither a sponsor of my radio show nor my podcast, but I don't care. We're giving them free plugs because it is one of the best collections <laughs> of writers that you will find and uh, just great content. So if you do not have an athletic subscription, you, d- you should. Uh, the problem I have, Brody, is do we still call y'all inky stained wretches now if, if you don't actually have ink to deal with? That's true. I guess if you you know you want to print out some PDFs of the stories you know, and get some ink involved, uh, <laughs> You know, maybe like a, there's something, uh, you know, there's a text term we could make a joke of, but I'm not clever enough to think. That, I understand. I understand. Uh, yeah, that was, for those that don't know, that's the old uh, newspaper reporter term. Uh, you always call the writers inky stained wretches uh, back in the day. But uh, no ink to, to speak of. Just, a, a, I guess you're a pixel stained wretch at this point, Brody. That's it. Yep, yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, hey, look, NCAA comes down. Um, LSU had been working on this for, for a while, almost two years now. Uh, James Craig, former O-line coach, fired him back in 21. He violated some rules. It wasn't anything that seemed particularly egregious. Uh, you know, recruiting outside uh, in the dead period, he gave a recruit some LSU gear, took him on a tour of Tiger Stadium and campus. That doesn't feel super egregious, and the penalties weren't. Uh, just kind of give us an idea of what, if anything, uh, this actually amounts to. Yeah, the honest answer is, is not a ton, just because so much of, I mean, essentially all of, of what, you know, was handed down were things that LSU had already been self-imposing for about a year or two now, just related to a bunch of things, right? Related to the the incidents from the Vidal-Alexander-Odell Beckham situations, from then they immediately took action when this happened and added more. So th- basically, I mean, this was, people are saying, oh, this got a slap on the wrist. Well, one, this was kind of a slap on the wrist-worthy offense. But two, this is kind of LSU already been punishing themselves quite a bit for this. So this is no adjustment. They had already been operating under, you know, basically 55 or less official visitors a year. You know, they had already been doing all of this. So this is no real change to them. It's more just... Really, to be honest, the only thing that this actually affects is the lawsuit, in which LSU about three weeks ago mm-hmm. lost the lost the the lawsuit, basically saying that it was a it was not for cause, and that they would owe James Craig all five hundred thousand dollars he was owed. And now, in theory, 
they can say, hey, your contract said no level one or two violations and you have a level two violation. So you would assume in their appeal they would then get away with not having to pay. Yeah, it's um, like you said, that's about the only thing Craig sued them for. Uh, basically wrongful termination, if you will, and not giving him the rest of his deal. Uh, it's obviously, this is one of the things I really struggle with, and, and I'd like your thoughts on it as well. When, when you kind of clear house or clean out, you know, clean house with your coaches, your, some of your administrators, all that stuff, and, and LSU's done some of that, and obviously with Brian Kelly coming in, he's done some of that. I struggle a little bit with punishing a team or a school, even though a lot of it, as you said, was self-imposed. I always struggle with punishing a coach who didn't have anything to do with what went wrong in the previous regime. I don't know how you fix it. I don't know how you, you legislate that, but it just feels like – Brian Kelly shouldn't pay for the sins of a previous administration. No, I think I agree, and I think the NCAA agrees. Cause I, I should have pointed out that these were self-imposed going back to when Ogeron was still there. Right. So, you know, they no, no there was, as far as I understand, nothing new that Kelly will have to newly adapt to, you know, new punishments for Kelly that are new this week or anything like that. So in a way, basically, there is the NCAA does agree with you because they had the chance to make this a worse punishment. They chose to basically stick with everything LSU self-imposed. So you're right. And, and I think that will really be the fascinating thing with the greater, you know, Will Wade, Vidal Alexander, uh, inv- you know, uh, notice of allegations LSU got a few months ago mm-hmm. that we're still waiting for the next, you know, year-ish on what the actual ruling will be on what the punishment is because LSU's been punishing itself. They fired the coach and all this stuff, but we'll find out. Will they try to, will they punish the future? I don't know. Cause that's, that's my question as well. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. And of course the NCAA, um, they move like me after a uh, visit to the Chinese buffet. It's very slow. Uh, just it takes forever. Even with the new, uh, you know, the the allegedly the new uh, panel that they put together that's supposed to look at all the infractions and and rule. Even they aren't moving particularly quickly or moving seemingly any faster than the old way. Are you in- slower? Yeah, and that's you know, I, I just it it it's crazy. I, I just keep going. All right, look, you don't have to investigate this for five years and then give us a, a ruling. Do your investigation, take a few months, figure it out, and then let's let's move on. Uh, it it drives me crazy because the NCAA, uh, by and large, gets a really terrible reputation because of this very thing. When in reality, ninety eight percent of what the NCAA does is fantastic. So I, that's I, that's what I struggle with is for whatever reason they can put on you know seventy championships and they can can do all of this great stuff, but at the end of the day it is only their enforcement arm which seems to get judged of, you know, and and fairly, I think. No, I think there's something to that. I think that's a valid point. It's like whenever we have these debates about like you know should the NCAA just be you know gone? It's like. Listen, you don't really want that. I understand why you think you want that. And there are some things that, yeah, I wish the NCAA play. Maybe I, I do like the idea of the proposed future of maybe certain things like the playoff and things like that not being in their hands. But but much of it, it's like a lot of it they do that you don't notice and you, are, you should be very happy they are there. So I do think you're right about that. And, yeah, I think the enforcement part, it's tough because you're right that it gets maybe too much attention to some extent. But at the same time, it's like, I think people struggle with the posturing that goes on, the 
self-righteousness that goes on with the NCAA, and then they actually mishandle most of it. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of the, fr- the frustration comes from. Well, anybody who listens to my show can can tell you I have long said if be careful what you wish for because all this exactly. talk about, hey, the Power Five should break away, like that's fine, but how are y'all going to set rules for soccer? And volleyball, and who's going to put <laughs> yeah. those championships on? That's the stuff that the NCAA does so well. I mean, the men's basketball and the women's basketball tournaments are arguably the two best championships in all of sports, right? March Madness is arguably the best championship in all of sports. Forget the Super Bowl. Forget uh, you know the, the NCAA football or the the uh, you know college football playoff. All of that. They're they're great, but March Madness is arguably the best thing that any that is in sports, and the NCAA does it, and they do it right. Uh, the Power Five, I, I just I don't think they want to take on all of that responsibility. No, I think you're right. I think it's one of those things. And and that's why I give them credit because it's like they have the Power Five, SEC, Greg Sankey, all that. They always get asked about it. And whenever they get asked about it, they kind of, you know, tone it down a bit like, hey, like, pump, you know, pump the brakes. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're simultaneously always fighting for more power, but they're not actually, as far as we know, actually trying to do it all because, to your point, they know they don't really want all of that. So, yeah, I think you're completely right about that. And it's a, it's a far more complex issue than, than you or I can probably even understand. But, yeah, I, I think there's a lot the NCAA does that we do not properly understand because most of those sports, unfortunately, they don't make money. Yeah. You know, And, if, and if, if it came down to just like the Power 5 schools were deciding all this stuff, well, shoot, to your exact point, a lot of things that we take for granted will then be gone. Yeah. Because then it'll become more of a business decision, and you don't want that. Oh, and the and the idea of a strictly Power 5 men's basketball tournament makes me want to oh. go run screaming and just and start hitting people. And like, what are you people doing? You're ruining one of the great <laughs> things. Look, it's it's nice when the Final Four is Blue Bloods. Like we had last year, you know, that was fun. That's great. I like it when the Final Four has those team, those teams steeped in tradition. But my goodness, the 16 over ones, the 14 over threes, that's what we live for in the NCAA tournament. The first two weekends, really, of the tournament are what are, – they're the best two weekends in sports. I just – oh, it drives me crazy. Like we have all year. We have all year to watch, like, the average Big 12 team against the better Big 12 team. Like, we have all year to see that in conference play. At the tournament to see that, to see the Cinderella stories, to see the schools that normally don't get this chance. I completely agree. Talking to Brody Miller. Rogers, by the way, we need to make a note. Brody Miller needs to come on more often because he agrees with me a lot, and I like <laughs> I like, I like people who agree with me a lot. Uh, Brody Miller from The Athletic joining us. All right, let's talk about LSU overall. Obviously a very nice win uh, this past weekend against Mississippi State. Kind of looked uh, looked kind of out of sorts in the first half, but figured it out in the second half. What have you seen in terms of the development of this team and, and kind of where you think they are in year, I'm going to say year one half of Brian Kelly's tenure? Yeah, it's it's really been tricky to figure out because even when I went back and looked at, let's say, the Florida State game, for example, it's like it looks so ugly because, by the way, it was ugly. Yeah. But it was ugly because of the off-the-rails mistakes. It was ugly because of inexplicable special teams issues or just silly penalties or things that, like, one, you assume are fixable, but two, aren't probably representative of, like, on a play-by-play basis, who are you as a football team? And I try it's hard, but I try to focus more on that stuff to figure out who's good and who's not. And when you actually looked at it, it's like, Man, the defense played really well against Florida State. They just couldn't get off on third down against Jordan Travis, which 
that shouldn't be ignored, but may not be like entirely indicative. Or then, you know, or you look at like, man, the second they win tempo, Jane Daniels is really good. So you judge him more by who he is when he's in his natural setting or more when it's, you know, he's playing left-handed. I don't know. So when you look at that Mississippi State game, it's kind of the ultimate example of that. Of Hey, man, I'm coming out of this third game thinking LSU has a legitimately very good defense. Like, it is actually that good. I think they shut down the run game against both teams. They both power five foes. The, the corners were supposed to be the biggest issue on the squad. They have played pretty well all year. They haven't really been beat except for like a flea flicker against Florida State. So that defense really does impress me, and I think that defense is going to keep you in games all year long. The greater question is just this offense reminds me so much of the 2018 Burrow offense where it's just like they're just flawed. Bad would not be accurate because mm-hmm. there's a lot they do well. You right. Jaden Daniels runs around. He makes a lot happen. They come up clutch in the fourth quarter, both games in a row. There's a lot there. It's just flawed, and it's not smooth and cohesive. So I think, I think I've said all year, I probably have said to you in the offseason, they're just going to be volatile. You know, I think there's going to be nights where they go up against a top-ten team and they win because they're talented and their defense is really good. And Jane Daniels is a playmaker. And there's also going to be games against, I don't know, Florida State or worse teams where they're not deep, they're flawed, they make mistakes, and they're going to lose. So it's just going to be – that's kind of where I'm at. Where yeah. I think they are an eight-win team, but they're not going to be pretty. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's unfortunate. And the thing that that I am concerned about, and it's funny because to me, the Saints and and LSU are, are somewhat mirror images of each other, in that they have good a good quarterback who you know is talented, but just hasn't really gotten settled in yet. The stuff that bothers me is in game one against Florida State the O-line was not holding up well. And so you understood when Daniels one read and he's gone. Uh, You get that because if you hold the ball too long, you're taking sacks. You don't want to do that. But in game three, you know, the reef configured offensive line held up very well. And Daniels had time to sit in the pocket and he did to his credit. He didn't try to run and flee. He sat in the pocket, but then he never pulled the trigger on anything. That's the part that concerns me is are the receivers not getting open? Is it bad schematic? or is Daniels just not seeing what he, you know, is not seeing what's there in order to pull the trigger and get rid of the ball when he does have time to sit in the pocket? No, I think you're right. That's the number one thing that we're really, I think, all need to follow every day going forward is a lot of the times the receivers were open or guys were becoming open. And some of that is, you know, you're just not like an anticipatory thrower and that's not great, you know, and you got to adjust from that. Some of it, I don't know, and I'd love to ask him about it. Some of it maybe is just not having like, confidence in a certain way like you like not confidence in can i make it but confidence in like would i rather keep the ball and go gain some yards running than that take that slight risk of a throw that's probably like 60 40 and that's me speculating but yeah. i kind of wonder if that's going through his mind and some of it just might be he's not seeing it but regardless for better or worse that is the situation you know and it's tough because there's a lot it's probably more complicated right like sure. when they're under tempo he is quick and decisive he actually is boom, 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 and Kelly's talked a lot about, and this is, I think, the real answer, is he keeps talking about paralysis by analysis and saying that, like, when when the de- when, it's, when it's under 15 on the play clock, it's not just that, like, the defense is sad, all this stuff. It's that gives Daniels more time to overthink. Sure. And that, you know, he's overthinking. And, and in turn, when they're playing tempo, he's just boom, boom, boom. He's a natural football player and makes good plays. So I think that's a part of it, too. But it's something that Mike Denbrock and Brian Kelly need to keep evaluating because 
that's not as good. A, he's a special runner. They're like actually great, mm-hmm. but that's not going to work against the best teams in the SEC. He's going to have to make some of those throws. It's funny, and I, I mentioned the Saints for a reason. Jameis, I think, has some of the same things where he gets back there and he's looking, 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 and he just doesn't let go of the ball when he needs to when he sees that read. And and then in the fourth quarter of the Atlanta game, they go tempo. And he's fantastic. Those were over 200 yards in the fourth quarter. What I don't understand is why are coaches so uh, so averse to doing the things that seem to have success for them? The Saints never really went back to tempo in game two. And LSU didn't really do a lot of tempo uh, in, in the game against Mississippi State. They had a little bit of it and had success. Why do they keep not going back to it? That's the part that drives me crazy. Yeah, I think you look at the LSU game in Mississippi State, they did pretty much go to it most of that third quarter and beginning of the fourth, and then once they had like a two-score lead, they sure. have, or like we're in control. Yeah, you go, go, you go to your four-minute no, offense at that point. Exactly. Yeah. But no, you're absolutely right. And and I asked Kelly that specifically, like, hey, like, what are the considerations that we're missing here? And he said, he's like, a lot of it also, and it's a good point, I think, that this is their third offensive line combination in mm-hmm. three games, plus four of those five starters are first and second year guys. So some of it's that stuff that we don't like, like it's the O-line. By the way, we saw those penalties before they were even going tempo of some of the mistakes that can get made. So I think that's a consideration. And I think, and I believe the way he put it is some of it you have to live with. So maybe you just go tempo and live with some of those mistakes from that young O-line because the offense, as in the big picture and the aggregate, is still better with those mistakes than it is going slow. But I do think that's that's a fair reasoning for why maybe in a first half they're not in a rush to go tempo. Sure. That's very interesting. Yeah, and although uh, most coaches will tell you that you'd rather make a mistake going 100 miles an hour than you would make a mistake okay. because you're it's, it's something mental in your head um, that's there. Talking to Brody Miller from The Athletic. Uh, so... I'm curious, just from a media standpoint, obviously, I'm in the media, you're in the media, what, uh, what's the access, what's kind of the, the nature of media with Brian Kelly now? Uh, obviously, Ed Ogeron was kind of an open book, and he would, you know, he talked to all kind of people. I, I, I had him on my show multiple times, and yeah. Brian Kelly seems to have a lot more of that kind of professional NFL approach to it. What's been sort of the media, uh, you know, repartee, notwithstanding the, uh, if you were win a game, I'd show up on time uh, comment from a couple of weeks ago, but kind of what's the day in and day out working been like for the media with Brian Kelly? No, that's a really good question because it's been really interesting because it's a change in the sense that you're right. Like Brian Kelly's not going to hop on your radio show or he's not going to talk off the record with a reporter. No, he's not going to do that. But on the other hand, in a lot of ways, because it's a little more, like you said, NFL style, it's actually, I don't know, he's given a lot more access in terms of things like practice, giving us full scrimmages, like which, you know, that is just rare to sure. level or uh, actual coordinator and assistant coach access. And that, that's gone down during the season, but that's normal. But I think in springs and summer and camp, you're going to see that kind of access often. And that kind of comes from a place of, yes, he's less, I'm going to schmooze with you, but more, I have less to hide. I'm not, like, worried about anything. So I'm just going to, like, you can see it. Like, you know, hey, I've won a lot of games. I don't need to hide everything. I think there's a little bit of that. But as a interview, he's been fascinating because he's just, he is that smart of a guy, right? There's so many things we can criticize about Brian Kelly, and I'll do him gladly, but he is that smart, and he's, he likes talking about these things. So, like, he gave an incredible answer Monday, for example, on the give and take of Daniel's running and passing and, like, what we just debated. He gave an incredible answer about, like, finding the balance between not wanting to take away his confidence and all of that, and it's just so insightful. Or 
talking about his process for program building and things like that. He loves like giving you a detailed, thoughtful answer. And that's the stuff, as much as people think we're looking for like a cool quote, really we want insight into like what's going on or yeah. how you do things. And he's been kind of incredible for that. So it's a give and take. Yeah. Like, yeah. Not going to be buddy, buddy, but it's been informative. Well, it's, uh, it, it's quite interesting. I, uh, not to, not to put, put you on the spot here, but the, the one question I keep having with Brian Kelly is he's been very successful everywhere he's been. He's had a good record. I am concerned that he can get you there, but can he win it? Right? Can he win the yeah. championship? He obviously got Notre Dame into the finals, uh, but he never got you know to that championship game, winning that championship. Do you think now with the the everything that he's got at LSU, all the facilities, all the recruiting base, all of that, do you think this is a guy that is capable of bringing national championships to LSU, a team that is used to their coaches coming in and winning national championships? Yeah. No, this is my favorite like debate in all sports. This is why college football is my favorite thing because it is so relative and you can actually have a debate without knowing the answer while the NFL it's like, Yeah, you can see him play every week. What do you mean? Right. And everything's equal. And I love it because yeah, it's it really comes down to the simple question of do you think Brian Kelly lost those games because he's not as good of a coach and all that kind of stuff? Or do you think he lost those games because they are just by definition not as talented as Alabama and Ohio State and some of these other teams? And and I would assume most would agree those teams weren't as talented, and I think most agree Notre Dame has limits to just how talented they can be. They're sure. still getting top 10, 12 classes, but there's a limit. And I think that is valid, and that's why, to your question, part of me does think you put you know Brian Kelly with a, with a disorganized sports car that is LSU and make it organized the way Saban did in 99 through 2004 – yeah, I think he can win a title. Okay. But there's the other element to this question that is so it's so complicated and fascinating. I've talked about it for hours, but the other part is, though, okay, and this is your exact question, can he get you close but not there? Do you blame Brian Kelly for not getting Notre Dame quite as talented as those teams? Do you blame him for the fact that there's that slight gap? I don't, I don't know the answer. I personally think there are just limitations at Notre Dame, and he took them to their absolute ceiling. But and I think at LSU it's going to be a little smoother for him. But at the same time, like maybe he doesn't have the same elite recruiting classes at LSU because he's not a full like a recruiter, a bulldog recruiter. So I do think he wins a title here. I don't think he builds like a dynasty, but I do think he can win a title. But man, I, it, it's such a fun debate because I don't know the answer. Well, and and let's not. You know, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, Notre Dame hasn't won a title since what '88, so oh, it, yeah. you know it's not yeah. it, it's not like anybody has come in there in the last forty years and done anything. They were a mess for twenty years before him. Yeah. I think that's the biggest misunderstanding about like his success there. The Notre Dame fans are mad at him, and I'm just like, yeah. do you remember that? Like, yeah. do you remember by the time he was hired? It was like, can anyone do it? Do you remember Tyrone Willingham and Charlie Weiss and? Et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, maybe, maybe calm. Remember y'all hired George O'Leary at one point? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh, craziness. Uh, all right. So moving forward for this LSU team, obviously this week you don't feel like should be a problem against New Mexico. Uh, moving forward, notwithstanding the games we all know, like Alabama, is there a sneaky game on the schedule that you really are looking forward to, to, to maybe give you some indication of, just what this LSU team may be able to be this year? I think, I mean, it's the obvious answer, but I think Tennessee is probably the one okay. for multiple reasons. One, we're still figuring out what Tennessee is, but I think we'll get a really good answer this weekend against Florida. But 
that's kind of the game. It's after the Auburn game, and let's assume LSU can take care of, take care of business against Auburn. And all of a sudden, LSU is going into you know the, the bulk of SEC play, four and one, and like optimism's back. We still don't really know how good they are coming up against an up tempo, scary offense like Tennessee. I think that's the one where you really figure it out because it's tricky, man. As much as the SEC is tough, it's like. There's so many teams that are tough, but with flaws. It's mm-hmm. Like Ole Miss, I don't, I'm not a buyer of Ole Miss right now. Florida is talented, but very flawed. You know, Arkansas, awesome run defense, awesome run offense, but a pretty beatable defense. It's like this weird thing. So I think Tennessee's the game where, if hypothetically LSU finds a way to win that game, one, I'm believing in LSU at that point. But two, you look at it and you're like, wait, can LSU win like nine games? Because I think that would tell you a lot about their upset. Brody, you're the best. I appreciate you agreeing with me as often as you did. That makes me feel good. Uh, you know how to make a, a radio host feel good. We need our, our egos massaged at all times. Uh, so I do appreciate that. Uh, Writers need it more than anyone, man. Well, that's true. That's true. You inky stained wretches out there can can use all yeah. the, the, the bolstering that you can get. Hey, uh, enjoy the weekend, and we look forward to catching up with you soon, brother. Thanks as always, man. Take care. All right. Brody Miller from The Athletic talking a little LSU football. Big thanks to Brody Miller for his time. A good dude. I always love chatting with him because, you know, he he's a guy that isn't afraid to be opinionated, which I, I love, right? And look, the number of times he told me that I was right, you know that's going to make me feel good. I'm a broadcaster, for goodness sakes. I've got an ego the size of the Grand Canyon. I need that ego to be, uh, you know, to be pumped up a little bit every now and then. So I appreciate him talking and saying how many times I was right, even if he didn't believe it. Hey, uh, college football fans, we know that with the season cranked back up, you're looking for the best seats at the most competitive prices, and we want to make sure you take advantage of Ticket Smarter and their mobile app. We know that buying college football tickets online requires trust, and Ticket Smarter has partnered with more than 100 universities and 24 conferences as their official ticket resale marketplace. They've also partnered with ESPN Events as an official ticket resale partner as well. And with the best selection of NCAA football tickets, Ticket Smarter makes sure fans from all over the country experience the power and excitement of college football live. Purchase your tickets quickly, securely, and at the best prices on the secondary market with the Ticket Smarter mobile app or at TicketSmarter.com. Plus, we've got an additional offer for those of you listening to our podcast here on College Gridiron Coast to Coast. Take 5% off your purchase of $100 or more with our promo code GRIDIRON22. That's GRIDIRON and the number 2 twice. That's Gridiron22 for 5% off your order of $100 or more. And that code's not just a one-time thing. You can use that code as many times as you want this season for the best selection of college football seats to the biggest games. Again, check out the selections and the pricing now with the Ticket Smarter app or on TicketSmarter.com. And remember our code, Gridiron22. Think smarter, ticket smarter. All right, good conversation with Brody Miller about uh, Brian Kelly. He ultimately thinks Kelly can bring a championship to LSU now that he's got the resources of the LSU Tigers behind him as opposed to Notre Dame where there are limitations. I tend to agree with Brody on that, especially considering Nick Saban won a championship before he was really quote-unquote Nick Saban. Les Miles won a title. Ed Ogeron won a title with arguably the greatest single season in college football history. So I I tend to agree with Brody on that point. I think Brian Kelly can come in and bring a championship to LSU. I think it's just a matter of time. 
But he is putting himself in the toughest division in all of college, not the toughest conference, the toughest division in all of college football, mostly when you look right there and you see Nick Saban uh, is staring at you to start with, not to mention the fact that Sam Pittman's doing such good things with uh, Arkansas. You know, Mike Leach has, has got Mississippi State playing a lot better. Uh, the question really now in the West is what happens with Auburn and does Brian Harson last? And speaking of Auburn, LSU gets back into the meat of their schedule, traveling to the Plains in a couple of weeks, or next week, I should say, to take on the Auburn Tigers. And I think that's going to uh, tell us a lot about this LSU team. Has Jaden Daniels improved? The one area that Jaden Daniels still struggles with is throwing from a clean pocket. Uh, two weeks ago against Florida State, it was he was was not having a lot of clean pockets, so he would check his first read. If it wasn't there, he'd take off, which was fine. It uh, it did enough for you to keep you in the ball game. But last week against Mississippi State, there were times when this reconfigured offensive line at LSU would give him time, and he still sat there and looked around and didn't find anyone to throw to him. We talked a little bit about that with Brody Miller. To me, that's the next stage of development I need to see from this LSU offense. I need to see Jaden Daniels, who's got tremendous feet, speed, running ability, all of that. I need to see Jaden Daniels uh, be able to find a way to throw the ball from the pocket. Because look, when you face Nick Saban, uh, when you face what Arkansas is doing defensively, those teams are going to make you do the thing you're weak at. Uh, Saban is is notorious for that. He's going to find out what you're not good at, and he's going to force you to do that well. And if Jaden Daniels isn't able to start uh, throwing well from the pocket, and you know finding going through his progressions and and getting rid of the ball, if he's not able to do that, teams like Alabama are absolutely going to uh, eat that alive because they're, they'll spy on you, and whoever they spy with is going to have the, as much athleticism as Jaden Daniels, who is a very special runner, as you heard uh, Brody Miller mention. All right, that's, uh, that's it for this week. I do appreciate Brody Miller for joining us. Always good to talk to him. Uh, again, go check out his work in, in the, on The Athletic. The Athletic is a fantastic uh, website, um, amalgamation of different writers. If you haven't subscribed, I highly recommend that you subscribe to The Athletic. It is spectacular. Again, they're not, they're not advertising on this show. They're not advertising on my, my radio show. So, uh, But I still I, I highly recommend that you go check them out. The Athletic is a terrific way to follow along with not only college football, but just sports in general. Uh, Big thanks to everyone for tuning in. Uh, Probably won't have a barbecue story from this past week, but we may uh, may go dip into the classics somewhere and tell you an old barbecue tale. Uh, Maybe the first time that I got to meet Aaron Franklin from Franklin Barbecue. We might discuss some of that uh, coming up on next week's podcast. We're also anticipating a very big national guest for next week, but I uh, don't want to spoil that. Don't want to ruin it. Don't have it in the can just yet. So I, I'll just leave you with that tease that uh, you might hear from a big national guest. We'll just say uh, one of the hottest college football coaches in America right now. Uh, you may be hearing from him next week. We'll hopefully make that happen. Uh, but as always, as we remind you on the Pigskin and Burn-Ins podcast, even if you don't win the game, go win the road trip. Have yourself a terrific Saturday of college football. I finally get to be at home in Natchitoches for the home opener. By the way, if you 
want to check that out. ESPN Plus will have that game. It's Northwestern State and Lamar at 3.30. I'll be making my ESPN Plus debut which I'm super excited about as well. So feel free to uh, to follow along there. Uh, follow our Twitter page at P.T. Netherton. P is in Patrick. T is in my middle name begins with the letter T. Netherton. Uh, find us there or uh, check out the radio show as well at Netherton Show. Thank you so much for tuning in this week, everyone. Have yourselves a good weekend. Remember, win the, re- win the game. This has been the Pigskin and Burn-Ins Podcast.